Michael, I have a question for you. Okay. How do you feel about uh, Jeff Bezos uh, flying up into space in a big old penis? Well, it was a giant dick flying in a space dick is pretty much the consensus I got from the internet, so... Sick. I agree. Nice. <laughs> uh, is there a lot of room for, uh, you know, would you call them spacemen, then, for in the dick? There were a couple extra people other than himself, so I would say, yeah. Short shoreman? Okay. <laughs> Well, uh, here's a uh, here's a go for you. Define irony. This morning, uh, I wound up, you know, getting dressed and discovered I had an excessive amount of cat hair on my pet cemetery T-shirt. Nice. <laughs> I mean, Cute. ouch, but nice. Yeah, it's a good time. Anyway, hi, welcome to the Disinformed Podcast. I'm Shane. I'm John. I'm Michael. I'm Courtney. This is, this is how the cold open feels, my friend. This oh, yeah. is going to be, um, you know, it's a thing. I still, and I've said it a hundred times already, will never stop recommending the audiobook for Pet Cemetery, just because Michael C. Hall, uh, as a narrator, I could listen to that man and have listened to that man talk for 13 hours. Okay. Yeah. If I'm if I'm ready to be heard again at some point in the near future, I'll do it. But there's so many other. I'm I'm desperately going to try to finish every King book on the planet at some point in the next year and a half. I, I need Oof. to just get through the cycle. Dang. I have about I'm halfway through, so wow. all I've got to do is soldier on for another forty, and, and then I'll be fine. And that's oh. you not even trying. Yeah, that's just from the <laughs> stuff that I've and and this is also me having read multiple times through on many of. Yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, you gone. Yeah, yeah. Since I'm now on my second run through of uh, revival within yeah. a two month period, but uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a good time. But uh, so for those of you hanging out who are not Stephen King aficionados <laughs> and are just blissfully ignorant of what uh, you know currently occurs on this show, we will randomly delve into an esoteric topic or two weekly, and in the course of explaining it, we lie about it to one another. It is incredibly engaging as a shtick and entertaining for over 100 episodes. 100 lies, sir. <laughs> Welcome to Dingo and the Baby on 92.2. Dingo, Dingo, Dingo. My baby! Uh, Michael, I'm going to need a clip. <laughs> of course. Oh, yeah, I'd like that. You'd like you that just, little clip, wouldn't you? You Such speak a in a very clip. quantized manner. Like, you are, like, constantly performing to a self-metronome. <laughs> And I... you're just stuck on sixteenths. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have no rhythm, so that explains a lot. You and I have something in common, finally. <laughs> well, uh, oddly enough, the both of you also share something in common with the topic that we are going to be laying before you today. And I am, I'm definitely with you, feeling the vibes, because today we are going to talk about the suicide solution. It's impossible not to try and do the riff noise with your mouth when you say that. <laughs> I know. That's someone uh, else's bit. <laughs> Calm down. We'll get there, Henry. Okay, so we have five lies winging your way. So get ready for it. <laughs> you know, there's something viscerally stirring about music in particular. Uh, and of course, the uh, in particular, the adrenaline-infused and distortion-drizzled rock music that we just know and love so intimately. Oh, the devil's music. Indeed. Uh, speaking of which, <laughs> we'll be getting there. Uh, for generations, gravelly guitars vaulting waves of masculine rage have provided a soundtrack to riots, bar fights, rough sex, and sporting events. But it's also offered a macabre backdrop for an even more depraved and depressed act. From time to time. Think someone reading a Star Trek paperback while their partner bleeds out in a bathtub. Kind of sober. Hmm? That's romance. Wow. Good callback. It's also an excellent meal. Yeah. But mm, uh, tasty. Now, certainly, metal music throw the horns up here one of rock's modern progeny has anecdotally set the scene for countless murders and suicides over the course of his existence and often by the artists that make it themselves which is even more entertaining so the question then becomes as high fidelity asked us what came first the the music or the misery you know, people worry about kids playing with guns or watching violent videos that some sort of culture of violence will pervade their spirit. Nobody worries about kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. It's literally all I write about. 
did I listen to pop music because I was miserable, or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Hmm. Maybe what I think is tasty wheat. Is really semen. <laughs> <laughs> Looks the same. You know, texturally, it's all the proteins that the body needs. It's got electrolytes. But, it's got what plants need. Very salty. But, <laughs> Someone's going to get planted here. Uh, but in the 1980s, this question in particular was asked in a court of law, owing to the tragedy purportedly inspired by the work of one of Britain's most beloved sons, John Michael Ozzy Osbourne. So Ozzy, as we know, is a singer, songwriter, and television personality who rose to prominence during the 1970s as the lead vocalist of the heavy metal band Black Sabbath, uh, during which the, uh, he adopted the nickname of the Prince of Darkness. So Checks there's out. your devil music there, Michael. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Michael, you do know who Ozzy Osbourne is, right? <laughs> yeah, I actually really love their... Um... Was it, I guess, reality for oh, TV, God, for lack go. of better term, <laughs> the Osbournes? You fucking would. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is one of the reasons why I actually legitimately got tingles when I started thinking about this topic, because this is one of those instances where the generational divide is going to be incredibly telling betwixt myself and the rest of you here, because many of you were still kind of, you know, in your ditties whilst I was going through my teen existential angst watching VH1. And uh, so your impression of Ozzy Osbourne was determined by MTV and, you know, a reality show. And mine is dramatically different, as will be evidenced by this topic here. So I'm looking forward to watching everyone's uh, eyeballs roll up in the back Tangentially, of their heads. Um, does VH1 even exist anymore? I'm not sure it does. I have no idea. I, I have not been plugged I'm into a coax it. for years. Because I'm thinking about it. And I mean, I don't have cable anymore. I don't know. I, I mm -hmm. Actually, I don't know many people that do. Uh, but I haven't heard anything. Like, there's no VH1 timestamps that I've seen other than, like, throwback shows. It Wasn't Rock of Love uh, another VH1 show? Uh -huh. like, Flavor yeah. of Love, Rock, yeah, Rock yeah. of Love. Love yeah. hip-hop. Yeah, it, uh, based off of what, it sh what I'm looking at at the Wikipedia, uh, Wikipedia page, it's, it's still going. Oh, that's Oof. trying. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, uh, behind the music is something that had redefined my perspective on you know, oh. crafting music for years. And what and was, was there's uh, there's was uh, not unplugged. There's a storytellers, right? VH1 did have storytellers as well. Yeah. Which was their their answer to MTV Unplugged. Uh huh. And uh, also very riveting, which the first album I ever put out, I did a storytellers release nice. party where i talked about every song on the record and i was told i was pretentious so <laughs> no small <laughs> wonder the time that i ate a cheese sandwich in london mm. that mm. was a good cheese sandwich toasted cheese sandwich in fact Ooh, brie fancy. is something it's a simple french table cheese i don't know why everybody is so enamored with it but Wait, anyway. you'd, you'd eat brie in a sandwich that sounds yeah. so barbaric i just like <laughs> it with crackers I like Listen. Allison Brie. Does that count? Let's keep yeah, your same, racial same. insensitivity to itself, you little <laughs> fucking... Anyway, back to the Prince of Darkness. Indeed. <laughs> wow. Do you, do you need to you know drink something after that? Are you okay? <laughs> the Prince yeah. of Darkness! <laughs> Man. You can uh... attack them! <laughs> you know, I also discovered uh, it was oh, episode <laughs> it was episode twelve of this little show where you introduced the porn names. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, actually, it was episode eleven. Sorry, we were. It was the elephants on acid episode. You asked us what our porn names were. Whoa, that's where we first met Peter Greer. Uh, Sadly, it was Robert at the time, but still. All right, yeah. so uh, one particular uh, cut from. I apparently just skipped something here because we got off on a tangent. Okay, here's the Prince of Darkness again. The material in question we'll be discussing in depth today is Blizzard of Oz, Osborne's solo debut studio album released in September of 1980 in the UK and March of 81 in the US. The album was Osborne's first musical foray following his firing from Black Sabbath in 1979. 
One particular cut from the album, something we listened to before we started rolling, is the song Suicide Solution. And it has been the galvanic point for a wide array of controversy to coalesce, most notably the October 1984 suicide of teenager John McCollum, uh, someone who was suffering from depression and shot himself in the head after allegedly listening to the song. Uh, the boy's parents sued Osborne and CBS Records for corruption of young persons uh, who were especially susceptible to dangerous influences. And this is from McCullum et al. versus CBS Incorporated et al. Mm. I do love legal uh, clarifications, but... You said 84? Yes. So that was like during the satanic panic and all that. Indeed. Oh, so you okay. can imagine what the uh, the scabs were coming off in uh, sloughs at that point. It was not good mm-hmm. times for anybody. Oof. So in his defense, Osborne stated in court that when the song was being written, the words wine is fine, but whiskey's quicker, suicide is slow with liquor, came to him suddenly and were a reflection not on the merits of suicide, but rather on the death of ACDC vocalist Bon Scott, a friend of Osborne's who had recently died of alcohol-related misadventure. Bob Daisley, who co-wrote the majority of the song's lyrics, uh, stated that he had Osborne's own substance abuse issues in mind when he composed the song. The McCollum's complaint was dismissed on the grounds that the First Amendment protected Osborne's right to free artistic expression. So those are kind of the broad strokes just to get us familiar here, but in order to understand how all of this coalesced into this, you know, glorious lawsuit and the loss of someone's life, we must first understand the man behind the myth a bit more intimately. So, I give you a little taste of Ozzy. (laughs) No thanks. Sharon's been enjoying that for quite some time. And there's going to be a lot of the Ozzy Osbourne impression this evening, kids, so my apologies up front. Get ready. Time to gargle. (laughs) So in late 1967, Geezer Butler formed his first band, Rare Breed. and There's no way his name was Geezer Butler. His name is Geezer Butler. That (laughs) is the bassist of Black Sabbath. Oh, that poor, poor son of a bitch. It's not his actual name, but that is what oh. he goes by. It's oh, you Christian chose name. that? <laughs> he, he chose Geezer, yes. I mean, I feel like that's better to choose it than to be given that name. He is probably one of the most eccentric individuals you will ever encounter in your life. He's a brilliant bassist, but he's also exceptionally into the occult, and he is a little bit excessive with some of his eccentricities. I'll just say that up front. So just to give you an idea why a geezer would be a self-attached He sounds uh, like a fun guy. He's yeah. most certainly a mushroom, yes. So uh, he recruited Ozzy Osbourne to serve as the vocalist in this new band, Rare Breed. Uh, the band played two shows and then promptly broke up, as bands <laughs> all too often do. Oh, yeah. Osbourne and Butler then reunited in Polka Took Blues... Uh, along with guitarist Tony Iommi and drummer Bill Ward, whose band Mythology had recently broken up. They renamed themselves Earth, but after being accidentally booked for a show instead of another band that shared the same name, they elected to change their name yet again. Was it Fine. Earth? Yes. I, I, oh, okay, okay. I knew that they had to change it because of that, but I wasn't sure what the name was. Yes, they were Earth okay. at the time. So they finally settled on the name Black Sabbath in August of 1969, based on the nice. film of the same title. It was showing across the street from their rehearsal space. They saw it on the marquee and sort of remarked to one another that, you know, everybody loves to be terrified by films, which is strange. And, and so the band noticed how folks enjoyed being frightened. And inspired, the band decided to play heavy blues style of music laced with gloomy sounds and lyrics, which was, uh, you know, for those who are keeping chart here, not a lot of bands making this sort of like dismal, dirgy, angry, sort of filthy music at the time. It's not a lot of folks creeping into the visceral. And uh, Zeppelin would get there eventually, but most everybody started as sort of like a blues infusion and then started getting grungier as they moved forward kind of a reflection of their environment at the time. When did uh, Pink Floyd start? I know that they're more psychedelic rock. Also in the 60s, and yeah, okay. they, they don't even get close to metal. Yeah, time. yeah, that's that was the closest thing I could think of that like kind of approximated it, but mm. like you said, that's nowhere close. All around the same time, essentially. Okay. So, uh, 
They, while recording their first album, Butler read several books on the occult and woke up seeing a dark figure standing at the end of his bed. Uh, Butler then told Osborne about it, and together they wrote the lyrics to Black Sabbath, their first bit of material surrounding the morbid and macabre. So despite only a modest investment from their U.S. record label Warner Brothers Records, Black Sabbath met with swift and enduring success. Built around Iommi's guitar riffs, Geezer Butler's lyrics, Bill Ward's insistent rhythms, and buoyed by Osborne's eerie vocals and irrepressible energy, early records such as their eponymous debut and the follow-up Paranoid sold huge numbers. We're talking record-setting platinum material at this point, uh, as well as getting considerable airplay. Uh, Osborne, however, recalls it with particular lament. In those days, the band wasn't very popular with women. Which I'll say that in English for everybody playing the home game. Uh, <laughs> in those days, the band was not very popular with women. Apropos, at about this time, Osborne met his future wife, Sharon Arden. Uh, after the unexpected success of their first album, Black Sabbath were considering her father, Don Arden, a uh, very reputable representative of uh, music, as their new manager, and uh, Sharon was at that time working as his receptionist. So let's talk about gender roles in the 60s. <sighs> you didn't even Osborne... say her name right. I mean, I'm, I'm going to work up to it. You don't just whip it out here. It sounds like everybody else has got a better handle on it than I do. Uh, so, in any event, uh, Osborne admits he was attracted to her immediately, but assumed that she probably thought that I was a lunatic. Osborne well. said years later, the best thing about eventually choosing Don Arden as a manager was that he got to see Sharon regularly, though their relationship was strictly professional at that point. Right. You were saying, Courtney? I got nothing. He actually he actually is a lunatic, so it's... Yeah. Checks out. <laughs> so Osborne went on to record and release eight studio albums with Black Sabbath before eventually being fired from the group. Was it actually the eight? Yes, it is actually eight. Oh. I'm not, I'm not going that cheap yet. I was going to say, really name five, but I, that's not my joke to... I say. mean, I plan to if, you would, if you'd like me to. <laughs> no, I'm good. He can go okay. deeper. All right. But only if he asks. Oh, I'll go deeper. So... Ooh. The albums had varying degrees of success, as you would imagine, but the band itself has been listed as the primary progenitor for most modern metal music. If you listen to folks talk about their influences, many folks popping up around the 80s and early 90s all credit Sabbath in some way, shape, or form. Uh, that's probably a misnomer, but that's not a lie. That's just me not caring to fact check. Their success and influence is, of course, undeniable, but despite their notoriety, the band was unraveling at an alarming rate. So thus, in 1978, Osborne left the band for three months to pursue a solo project that he entitled Blizzard of Oz, a name which he derived from a phrase that he had uncovered himself drunkenly muttering on a demo tape prior to passing out while leaving the tape running. For someone who's never been drunk before, you can sound drunk whenever you want. Yeah, I work on it really hard. I was going to say, he's been around a lot of them, and he remembers it. So Indeed. A lot of I have experience. had a lot of exposure, sadly, mm -hmm. and um, not Southern exposure. Did you say he was fired or he left the band? He said fired. fired. Oh, okay, okay. You mm -hmm. said that he had left the band for his solo project. Well, he hasn't been fired yet. This is 78. Oh, he was fired okay. in 79, so this is uh, prior to that. So. Okay. Three members of the band Necromandus, who had supported Sabbath in Birmingham when they were called Earth, backed Osborne in the studio and briefly became the first incarnation of his solo band. At the request of the other members of Sabbath, Osborne soon rejoined the group. The band spent five months at Sounds Interchange Studios in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, writing and recording what would become Never Say Die. Uh, it took quite a long time, Iomi said. We're getting really drugged out with a lot of dope. We'd go down to the sessions, have to pack up because we were too stoned. I mean, we'd have to stop. Nobody could get anything right. We were all over the place. Everybody's playing a different thing. We'd go back and sleep it off and then try again the next day. Touring in support of Never Say Die began in May of 1978 with Van Halen as the opening act. Huh. Reviewers called Sabbath's performance tired and uninspired. 
sounds like reviews of my music. But were they anyway. really opening for Van Halen? Uh, Van Halen was opening for them. Oh, my apologies. Yes, but yes, uh, Van Halen was really the opener on this tour. Uh, so in stark contrast to the youthful performance of Van Halen, who were touring the world for their first time. Huh. The final show of the tour, and Osborne's last appearance with the band until 1985, was in Phoenix, Arizona, on no. December the 11th. Huh. Huh. Really? Mm -hmm. That's a fact. Is that a fact? Is that Is bullshit? It? That is bullshit. <laughs> I was like, no. You know what's funny though? Is the only reason I did that as a lie is I wanted to give you a layup here. But um okay. the last show was a actually in lie. Albuquerque. Oh. Which oh, to me honestly? is more I'm more incredulous that they stopped in Albuquerque <laughs> as opposed to Phoenix. So that's why yeah. I elected Albuquerque to include that. Albuquerque is where things go to die. Albuquerque is a great anymore. place. Have you even been there? Yeah, I broke bad there once. Their yeah, food is fantastic. Yeah, name five. <laughs> Don't get me started. I'll break out the spreadsheet. <laughs> oh, no. <Ooh. laughs> That's going to be your next episode. Talk nerdy to me. Okay. <laughs> the foods of Albuquerque. On a spreadsheet. Oh, no. mm -hmm. <laughs> On a spreadsheet. It's a full Shows page spread. Let's go. <laughs> so in 1979, shares. back in the studio, tensions and conflict arose between the members. Osborne recalls being asked to record his vocals over and over, as you commonly are in a studio, but uh, what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the tracks were being manipulated endlessly by Iomi, otherwise called production, I think. Wait, you're uh, this... saying that you actually edit the tracks that you record? You don't just do it all natural? You know, that's what's funny is this is a part of the time. The first records that they did, they cut on four tracks. And so they would ha they only had a certain number of inputs. So they would go in, they'd track the song live, and then the most they would ever do is vocal overdubs. Huh. Um, and so, yeah, basically you were just setting up and playing. So this was kind of in the advent of the stages where you could take time and be more deliberate and actually try to get better takes. And apparently okay. this was not something that, uh, Mr. Osborne was willing to sit still for. He was like, I got a good fucking pizza. Albuquerque. So this was naturally a point of contention between Osborne and Iomi. At Iomi's insistence, and with the support of Butler and Ward, Osborne was ejected from the band on April 27th, 1979. Apparently they had like a, a seat, like a Bond car. <laughs> That's what I was thinking too. <laughs> and he was replaced by? Uh, I will get there. Uh, but uh, in any event, the reasons provided to Osborne as to why he was fired were that he were unreliable. He were unreliable. He was unreliable. <laughs> he and were unreliable. had excessive substance use issues compared to the other members. Who had Ooh. like, you know, like mid-tier substance abuse issues. They yes. were semi-coherent when he well, wasn't coherent at all. Well, fuck you, Peck. You're a Mormon. Next to you, everyone's an alcoholic. Very fine point. What the fuck are you doing here? Uh, <laughs> this is a witch hunt. So uh, oh, I need to rewatch that. It's fantastic. Uh, Osborne, of course, claims his drug use and alcohol consumption at the time was neither better nor worse than that of the other members in the band. He was replaced in the band with former Rainbow singer Ronnie James Dio, known for his more operatic vocal style and lyrics surrounding elements of fantasy and theatricality. You merely adopted the doc. Mm. Uh, it is in the midst of this emotional chaos and uncertainty that Ozzy began to pen and perform the material that would eventually become Blizzard of Oz. So... Upon leaving Sabbath, Osborne recalled, I got 96,000 pounds for my share of the name, and I just locked myself away and spent three months doing coke and booze, all right? My thinking was, this is my last party, man, because after this I'm going to go back to Birmingham and I'm going to be on the fucking dole, man. However, Don Arden signed him to Jet Records with the aim of recording new material. Arden dispatched his daughter Sharon to Los Angeles to look after Ozzy's needs, whatever they were, Ooh. and to protect his investment. Initially, Arden hoped Osborne would return to Sabbath, and they were kind of hoping that this was going to manifest eventually. Uh, he was managing them personally at the time still. Uh, and then later attempted to convince the singer to name his new band Son of Sabbath. 
which of course Osborne <laughs> hated and rejected. Yeah. No, That's no way. Don't, I don't blame him at all. Was that actually pitched? That was actually name? pitched. Oh. He wanted it to be called Son of Sabbath. God, I would have been so insulted. This is my new you band and... now. Taking it. <laughs> Congratulations. Copyrighted. Done. I mean, it has to exist. You'd oh, hope. Of course. There's probably a bajillion cover bands of Black Speaking Sabbath of which, or something like that. I just bought an LP by Zach Sabbath. <laughs> which is the Zach Wild uh, Sabbath cover band. And Zach Wild, for those of you who don't know, was Ozzy Osbourne's guitar player for a very long time. And he actually has wow. a similar vocal timbre. So that record's fucking amazing. And I would absolutely recommend it. So go snag Vertigo if you're inclined. They're actually super metal about it, too. They're not doing a digital release. If you want to buy the MP3s, you have to spend over $1,000 on Bandcamp. They will not sell it to you otherwise. You have to buy physical media, which is uh. really fantastic. <laughs> I like the boys have balls. Also, I just checked, and Courtney, you are good to go. Uh, it's good to talk to the founding member of Sons of Sabbath. Perfect. Let's do this. Huh. All righty. Is that me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Sounds like a motorcycle gang. Yeah. In any event... Um, now I'm just going to have to say, uh, Blizzard of Oz is, of course, one of the few albums among the 100 bestsellers of the 80s to have achieved multi-platinum status without the benefit of a top 40 single. As of August of 1997, it had achieved quadruple platinum status, according to the RIAA. And while Blizzard is considered a landmark album not just for the Prince of Darkness, but for heavy metal in general, it has also proved controversial, as I alluded to earlier. Five years after its release, the parents of teenager John McCollum, of course, filed that lawsuit in alleging that their son had killed himself after listening to the song Suicide Solution. It should be noted that during this time frame, Osborne had released a follow-up record, Diary of a Madman, which ultimately led to Ozzy suffering his own tragedy. On March 19, 1982, the band were in Florida for the Diary of a Madman tour and a week away from playing Madison Square Garden in New York City. At the time, a light aircraft piloted by Andrew Acock, the band's tour bus driver, so obviously you'd want to let him pilot the plane. Was he a cock or a man? <laughs> yes. He was both. He was a cock man. He was a man with a cock. <laughs> a cockpit. Uh-huh. How are these motherfucking cocks on this, this motherfucking plane? Thank you for the cockpit joke there, Michael. I appreciate it. You're uh, so, of course, the plane was also carrying the ubermensch and great guitarist Randy Rhodes and Rachel Youngblood, the band's costume and makeup designer. And for those of you who do not know, Randy Rhodes is sort of a god of metal guitar to a lot of people. He is the founding member of Quiet Riot and started that band and then left to go perform with Ozzy and Quiet Riot sort of carried on in his uh, stead with his blessing initially, but that was Randy's thing. And he is a phenomenal guitarist, and this is terribly unfortunate because uh, the uh, Rachel Youngblood, as I said, the band's costume and makeup designer, and the plane crashed while performing low passes over the band's tour bus. So Mr. Acock there was trying to be cute and uh, and wound up crashing so the left wing of the aircraft clipped the bus causing the plane to graze a tree and crash into the garage of a nearby mansion killing everyone aboard so you would say he was um too cocky right (laughs) what what's the joke tsunami (laughs) i'm sorry well played i had to i I appreciate your efforts just a couple of balls you know just a just a couple of balls. And a cock. And a cock. <laughs> and a cockpit. So the crash was, of course, ruled the result of poor judgment by the pilot in buzzing the bus and misjudging clearance of obstacles. God damn. Hmm. Call that an understatement of the fucking century. But uh, experience. That's the understatement of the century. I touched my nose for those of you listening at home. <laughs> Jeez. Experiencing firsthand the horrific death of his close friend and bandmate, Osborne fell into a deep depression. The tour was canceled for two weeks while Osborne, Sharon! And Aldridge returned to Los Angeles to take stock while Sarzo remained in Florida with family. 
So then, on November the 1st, 1985, the lawsuit against Osborne and CBS Records was filed by the parents of John McCollum. But wait, there's even more uh, seasoning to go into the stew at this point. Because throughout his career, many religious groups have, of course, accused Osborne of being a negative influence on teenagers, stating that his genre of rock music has been used to glorify Satanism. To Michael's point from earlier, so this is where a lot of things were kind of coalescing into a really nasty period of history for America, in particular where music was involved. Uh, scholar Christopher M. Moorman, because I didn't want to say Mormon, but uh, that's... Please, is, that, is that true? That's his name, it's Moorman. <laughs> what is up with these names tonight? Like It's the 80s, my friend. Oh, we were a little God. phallocentric in uh, the American Moorman. What do you want, Less Man? Yeah, I, well, I am a lesser man, so like, I would feel What about quarter about man? <laughs> I would like one-eighth of a man, please. Lead us half man. <laughs> <laughs> I drink and I bone things. Uh, anyway, uh, scholar Christopher M. Mormon compared the controversy to those level against occultists Aleister Crowley and William Butler Yeats who, for those of you playing the home game, Yeats was actually the Ademptus Exemptus of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn at one point. In a callback to John's favorite of all of the orders. Callback. So each was demonized by the media and some religious groups for their antics, as well as the surrounding religious fervor and cult-like followings they inspired. Osborne himself was most certainly a consistent public spectacle at the time, to his credit. In 1981, after signing his first solo career record deal, Osborne bit the head off of a dove during a meeting with CBS Records executives in Los Angeles. Fake news. It was a bat. Uh, no, it was a dove. I thought it was a bat. That's another Wait, time. my friend. We'll get there. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> comes later. Through first blood. <laughs> Apparently... Osborne had planned to release doves into the air as a sign of peace, but due to being exceedingly intoxicated at the time, one dove that had sort of just flown down and landed on the table in front of him, he grabbed the dove and just bit its head off. So they have photos that they were taking of this whole thing unraveling, and he's got blood like running down the front of his face from having just a, this flopping bird in his hands, which is just glorious. Uh, he then spat the head out, blood still dribbling from his lips, and was photographed. So, despite the controversy, the head-biting act has been parodied and alluded to several times throughout his career and is part of what made Osborne famous. Subsequently, on January 20th, 1982, Osborne bit the head off of a bat that he thought was rubber while performing at the Veterans Memorial Auditorium in Des Moines, Iowa. Did he get rabies? While many have stated the bat was alive, 17-year-old Mark Neal, who claims to have thrown it on stage and is said to have brought it to the show, dead. However, to uh, many people's claims, Osborne was purported to have gotten rabies at that show and had to go get <laughs> shots. But that's kind of, I think, uh. anecdotal. I'm not sure that's true. So the next time but, you go to a wedding where they release doves, like, you know what to do. Indeed. Execute Order 66. <laughs> Wipe them out, all of them. Do it. Do it. Unlimited power! <laughs> the doves are in peace among worlds. This is, what, this is what it sounds like when the doves cry, motherfucker. Here we go. So, I'm surprised John didn't say anything about them being fake or, you know, robotic or cameras or anything. Uh, well, this. Oh, was this, was this. This is after Eisenhower. Yeah, they were fake then. Okay. Oh yeah. Well, I'm amazed he wasn't the electrocuted thing, then. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah he was well, just filled yeah, with jelly that, and jam. Michael, explain don't be that. fucking ignorant. There were real birds, and then Eisenhower and, and the FBI and the CIA, they all got together and they fucking exterminated them. We don't talk about it as much as we should. What happened is they fell into the uh, the flesh vortexes and then were gobbled up. Mm. I love when I, I love a good devouring from a flesh vortex. Don't we all? Flesh interfaces. <laughs> so, to keep his streak alive, on February 18th of 1982, granted, now this is all within a few months of each other, okay? So just imagine the run that this gentleman is on. Uh, 
In February 18th, 1982, while wearing his future wife Sharon's dress for a photo shoot near the Alamo, Osborne drunkenly urinated on a cenotaph erected in honor of those who died at the <laughs> Battle of the Alamo in Texas. Hell yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Is there he anything then... more metal? <laughs> That's a very fine point. I remember this fucking Alamo. <laughs> so... A police officer subsequently arrested Osborne on site, and he was banned from the city of San Antonio for a decade. That seems like an overreaction. Yeah, is that real? It is real. <laughs> Did he ever say how he got to be wearing his future wife's dress? They they were trying to be incendiary, so he was oh, just okay. wearing, was they just wanted him to put a dress that. on just to be weird. And it's and not as like far that. afield as he's gone, because then, no. despite the <laughs> array of strife, the charismatic front man certainly showed no signs of slowing down, drunkenly asking, Do you want to see my cock, man? To 19,000 fans at the <laughs> Miami Dinner Key Auditorium on and March like, 2nd of 1982. Like, yeah, well, okay. Sure, so why every not? other it's month. Part of sure. the ticket, I guess. <laughs> Apparently <laughs> All right, here it comes. Oh. Here is consent. At least, at least he didn't bite the head off of it. <laughs> I was, I was going to say. This is my blow pop, man. I was just trying to find the gum. I did it. I finally reached it myself. How many licks does it take to get to the center of that? Ask Sharon. Uh, <laughs> Sharon! Nice try. Uh, <laughs> it's my last time, I swear. This was, of course, an exceptionally provocative move, even by his own lofty standards. So while no one was ever able to prove that Osborne actually removed his cock from his pants at the uh, during this <laughs> disastrous performance, uh, the ensuing media circus and public outcry over his alleged wang wave, not my words, but it's beautiful, <laughs> uh, compelled the Florida State's Attorney's Office to issue a warrant for his arrest. So he was arrested in San Antonio the month prior. He's now being arrested in fucking Florida. And uh, after surrendering to the authorities the next day, Ozzy stood trial and was accused of indecent exposure and open profanity, which I love. Oh. He's like, two. ah, fuck it. Did he, did he really get open profanity? Was that Open really profanity, that is the charge. Ah, shit. That was a thing. Now, <sighs> no evidence was actually offered to the court to prove that he was being indecent. No one actually had photographic evidence. <laughs> Anecdotally, there wasn't anybody saying they saw his penis, and so he was just allowed to go free. However, this was kind of the icing on the cake for a year fraught with controversy for Ozzy, and we were only in March. While the drama up to this point was somewhat sophomoric, it was about to take a rather bleak turn. On New Year's Eve of 1983, over a year removed from these other hijinks, Canadian youth James Jollymore, and I'm, these last names are not being made up, I'm, this is purely circumstantial, he killed a woman and her two sons in Halifax, Nova Scotia after listening to the song Bark at the Moon. Because apparently lycanthropy is a thing that can just take you after listening to music, apparently. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was just saying, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. That, it you, sounded you like you were waiting for something further, my friend. No, do you want me to oh, turn it? Yes. Oh, here, let me Indeed. try it again. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My man! <laughs> so a friend of the murderer quoted, Jimmy said that every time he listened to that song, he felt strange inside. Like he said, when he heard it on New Year's Eve, he went out and stabbed someone. Cool. Oh, okay. Cool, cool story, bro. <sighs> yeah, Does well, this he... get into like playing music backwards and like the hidden messages at all? Or yes. Okay. So, uh, in 1984, California teenager John McCollum committed suicide, of course, listening to Osborne's Suicide Solution purportedly. The song deals with the dangers of alcohol abuse, as I alleged earlier. Uh, well, I alluded to earlier, sorry. So, uh, McCollum's suicide led to allegations that Osborne promoted suicide in his songs. So, despite knowing that McCollum suffered clinical depression... <laughs> His parents sued Osborne in McCollum versus CBS for their son's death, saying the lyrics in the song, Where to Hide, Suicide is the Only Way Out, Don't You Know What It's Really About, convinced McCollum to commit suicide. 
They also had claimed that there is backward speaking on the track. Now, they don't nice. say you have to play it backwards, but they claimed that uh, he said phrases and then they ran them backwards and he was saying, get the gun and shoot. Mm-hmm. And there is something in the song actually midway through that sounds like he says, get the gun, which is hilarious because in the behind the music where they're talking to Ozzy about it, he's like, I never said that, man. I said, get the fucking gun. Uh, <laughs> it's, it certainly sounds like it a little bit, but again, it's just, and shoot is a vocal effect that they were putting on, which is just a weird sort of trancy thing. And it's, he doesn't say shoot anywhere. It's just one of those things that's happening. Also, just with like hauntings and stuff. The more you want to hear it and the more you want to see it, you're going to be more predisposed to find it. The harder you are wanting to exist there, you will find a way for it to exist. If you're an alcoholic and you drink four bottles of Jack Daniels and you die of alcohol poisoning, it's not the booze's fault. Right. So if you have clinical depression and you're listening to a song about slowly committing suicide with alcohol you're it's not the person's fault that that thoughts and you know injected into your mind here it's not introduced gasoline on a fire is zachary or uh bringing dynamite to a gunfight but uh in any event uh, it's called and i'm gonna butcher it but i'm doing it for the sake of butchering uh periodolia it's seeing seeing things or patterns where there aren't any Pretty okay. much, yeah, yeah. I knew that there was a word for it, but it's that idea where if it sounds something that you can discern, then your mind will like the more you hear it, the more you think about it. If you're already biased towards hearing something, like now that you mentioned that there is an alleged that he says grab your gun, uh-huh. if you were to hear it, we're more likely to say, oh, that definitely sounds like it when it could have just been him mumbling or something right. like that. Yeah, yeah. So. The family's lawyer suggested that Osborne should be criminally charged for encouraging a young person to commit suicide, but of course the courts ruled in Osborne's favor, saying there is no connection between the song and McCollum's suicide. Osborne was sued for the same reason in 1991 by the parents of Michael Waller for $9 million, but the courts once again ruled in Osborne's favor. The song wound up causing so much controversy that it ranked number three on the list of the Filthy 15, which, for those of you too young to encounter this, was the list of objectionable songs Tipper Gore and the Parents uh, Music Resource Center held up as the justification for requiring parental advisory stickers on albums. Yup. Nice. (sighs) Recalling the ease brought... uh, Oh. Recalling the case brought the McCollum's family and the media frenzy. Ozzy was in England when he received an urgent phone call from his wife and manager Sharon in L.A. I got a call and Sharon's like, pack your fucking bag, man. Get on a plane. We're going to Los Angeles. You got to get over here like right now. And I was like, wait, wait, what the fuck happened, man? I don't know what's going on. And she's like, just get on the goddamn plane, you drunken moron. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? In any event. I I go I go to LA and I'm like what the fuck's going on man what happened so I I fly for eleven fucking and a half hours I get to LA I go through customs I come out not knowing anything what the fuck's happening and there's like two hundred fucking cameramen there man and all is flashing these fucking lights in my face and I'm coming through the gate and I'm like walking in front of like some fucking film star or something it's like who's the famous person in front of me uh, and then all of a sudden like someone pokes a mic in my face and they're like. What have you got to say about the fucking suicide, man? And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I don't know what the fuck's going on. So I'm getting in the car, and then right there, Sharon tells me. <laughs> if you if you didn't understand any of that, essentially, he had no idea what these allegations were and had to fly over, and this is how he got introduced to Jeez. the situation. It's not a lot of fun. So, uh, McCollum was, of course, found shot to death on his bed in Indio, California. I probably should have thrown a trigger warning in here somewhere, but we'll have them, uh, you know, in the show notes. I Uh, feel like if it, if the title says Suicide Solution... Can probably extrapolate? Yeah, well... Yes, but still all the same, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, although it was, of course, quickly determined that the wound was self-inflicted, his parents were, of course, looking for something other than themselves or his personal peccadilloes to blame. And there you are. Oh, uh, so they, sad. 
They claimed there were hidden lyrics in the song which incited their son to dispatch himself and that uh, listeners were urged to get the gun and try it. Shoot, shoot, shoot. I forgot that I had this in here later on. But in any event, Osborne, a popular star of heavy metal music, responded that Suicide Solution has no hidden lyrics and it's actually an anti-suicide composition written about a fellow musician who drank himself to death. Uh, although it is generally legal in the United States to express any viewpoint or feeling, strangely enough, just look at our former president, it is not legal to directly incite specific or imminent violent actions as it stands, unless you uh, were the former president of the United States, and then Congress will just let you slide on shit like <laughs> is that. Is that a lie? <laughs> That's not Feels a lie. Feels like a lie. Uh, it's something, the, uh, something, it should be a lie. Something, something, January 6th. Something, 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 steal the vote. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, no, uh, that was actually included in one of the articles that I was reviewing, and they said hmm. this is specific. It's not legal to directly incite specific and imminent violent actions. Or at least hmm. it wasn't until last year. Cool, 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 cool. Anywho. Uh, since this standard is, of course, hard to prove, virtually every attempt to hold an entertainer responsible for allegedly inciting action has failed. Heretofore. In this instance, and this tickles me beyond belief, Los Angeles Superior uh, Court Judge John L. Cole rejected assertions that hidden lyrics in the song, uh, about hidden lyrics in the song, and said the suit reads more like a novel than a legal pleading. I think they said something similar to Giuliani as well. Damn. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, when you can have trial by combat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We have to look very closely at the First Amendment and the chilling effect that would be had if these words to be held accountable, Cole said. Uh, if the words were to be held accountable. Good God. Thomas Anderson, attorney for the parents of John McCollum, said he would appeal Cole's dismissal ruling. There's no redeeming quality of these lyrics, he said. Oof. I think this case will be heard by a jury, and when they do, Ozzy Osbourne and CBS Records will be in deep trouble. That didn't quite play out the way he expected, but what are you going to do? All right. Uh, attorneys for CBS argued, of course, that Osborne could not be held any more responsible for his listeners' responses than could Shakespeare for Hamlet's soliloquy, or Tolstoy for Anna Karenina throwing herself under the wheels of a train, or the producers of the movie M.A.S.H. for entitling its theme song, Suicide is Painless. If CBS and Ozzy Osbourne are held civilly liable for what is on those records, then all the rest of these works are at risk, CBS attorney William Vaughn said. Uh, certainly McCollum was a most unfortunate young man who may have been particularly susceptible and troubled, Vaughn acknowledged. But does that mean that every writer is going to have to write to the lowest common denominator so as not to disturb even the most susceptible of all of us? At issue is whether or not the hidden lyrics really exist and whether McCollum listened to them repeatedly before dispatching himself, uh, and whether such lyrics are protected as a matter of law under the Constitution. And, uh, of course, as we've learned, the courts have traditionally held that the First Amendment's free expression guarantees are restricted when others may be harmed. However, the measuring stick most often applied is whether the words are intended to incite specific immediate action and are directed at a particular identifiable group. Like, let's all go down to the <laughs> Capitol building. Wouldn't it be wild if you met me at the Capitol building? I'll meet you down there. I've got the pizza. You know, the one with the special sauce. The big the big sausage one? Ooh. <laughs> oh. That was definitely You haven't matter. tried to kill everyone at the Capitol hard enough oh, God. <laughs> to form a coup like that. <laughs> obviously, it's a joke. Hi, guys. Now that, now that, now that, we're being, yes, now that you've incited more violence. Yep. Now, ten that, out of ten. now that I'm also on the same list, Shane probably is. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun watch list to be on, my friend. The monthly oh, newsletter is very entertaining. Sweet. So, well, Aww, if they want to, if they want to pay for some of my OnlyFans subscriptions, that would be nice. Is I that like a do not fly more. list or what? <laughs> uh, basically, it's actually zip your fly list. I think. Oh, what, uh, that makes more was, sense. But, yeah. Back back room casting fly list. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, of course, a California court dismissed the McCollum's appellate lawsuit in 88 as well, ruling that John's suicide was not a foreseeable result of Osborne's songwriting. 
And thus, while we can't always be certain which came first, the music or the misery, in this instance it appears that there was plenty of misery to go around before Ozzy ever got there. Uh, Osborne wouldn't be free of its grasp for quite some time, unfortunately. The most notorious... Notorious? Gracious. <laughs> what are you, Michael? Apparently today, I'm, uh, I shouldn't have had that coffee before we started. I'm salivating like a frickin' pooch passing peach seeds over here, but... The most notorious incident came in August of 1989 when Sharon claimed Ozzy had tried to strangle her after returning home from the Moscow Music Peace Festival. <laughs> Define irony. He uh, really doesn't like the idea of peace. Apparently not. Uh, apparently this is one of those where I think it, it was rumored he was snorting ants off of the sidewalk during uh, <laughs> these things from, I think Scott Ian from Anthrax claimed that he saw Ozzy just snorting ants off of the ground. So he was a little far gone, uh, understandably. Uh, the incident, of course, led Ozzy to six months in rehabilitation, after which time Sharon regained her faith in her husband and did not press charges. Uh, sadly, Osborne has battled addiction and alcoholism off and on for the rest of his life to this point. Most recently, in April of 2013, he revealed through Facebook that he had resumed drinking and taking drugs over the past year and a half, stating that he was in a very dark place, but that he had been sober again since early March of that year. So uh, he also apologized to Sharon, his family, friends, bandmates, and his fans for his insane behavior during that period. And while the misery has taken many, it has yet to claim the Prince of Darkness at this point, and it is my sincerest hope that he will continue to elude the hand of fate for the remainder of his days. And that... How old is he now? Uh, he's uh, old enough to uh, to know better. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Let's see. 72. There you go. All right. And uh, still with just insanely, he's got waves like a Viking funeral uh, for his hair there. It's gotcha. looking lovely. But uh, that, my friends, is, is all that I have for you on this topic. Damn it. We only got one. <laughs> and it was the you layup. Got, you got Phoenix. Oh, dang. I have a stab. Give it. Yeah. So you had mentioned content no, warnings. he shot himself. I'm sorry. On, on record specifically. So the content yes. warning on the front wow. of albums. Mm -hmm. Did you say that that was due to this type of music? Because my understanding was that had to do with rap music specifically. Uh, a lot of it was rap music, but they, I mean, they had Prince on that list as well. Okay. So, yeah, it wasn't just a specific type of music. They had uh, an array of material on the, the Filthy 15. Gotcha. So, it, it weren't just that, but you're sniffing in the right area. <sighs> Gross. <laughs> was it number three? You said there was like three out of 15 reasons. Mm -hmm. It was number three? It was not number three. <laughs> when it, you said the number, even, I was like... <laughs> it wasn't even on the list, technically. So Courtney's oh. correct, but oh. it wasn't that it was just rap music on the thing. So, I mean, I'm giving you both credit here. Uh, it's the reason why I, I tend to give it to you all when you start sniffing around the right spot. But yeah, it, it wasn't on the list. It had nothing to do with the list, but I was like, it's it's close enough. It was within the same That's time frame. Yeah. Well, there you are. Congratulations. That is now two of the five. Anything else, anybody? Nah. No, nah. but can you imagine being his kids through all this? Like, Jack and Kelly have been through so much. Well, what's even funnier is he has uh, children from his prior marriage uh, as well, and they were not on the show and uh, have a lot of difficulty uh, dealing with Ozzy in general due to how he left his wife and wound up with Sharon in the first place. So it's a, a wealth of other things I elected not to go into at the course of this because I mean, I could have spent, this <laughs> could have been Harlan Sanders again. And I was like, I just need to get through this because I'm obviously a, a goon for Black Sabbath. I loved them to death. It was one of my dad's purportedly favorite bands and then i started listening to him and he, he didn't know anything about the band and couldn't have cared less which is very interesting but uh, as we've mentioned before i think i talked about it on damn jams at the very least is that uh, the first band i was ever in was a black sabbath cover band initially so obviously i'm a little dyed in a little the wool. taken just a scounch but uh, all right so Lie number one is that uh, the boys' parents sued Osborne and CBS Records for corruption of young persons. Uh, oh. I, I went the, the Socratic route here. He was actually sued for encouraging self-destructive behavior 
in young persons is the uh, the exact verbiage there. So it was not corruption of the young. I changed it slightly so it wouldn't be on the nose. But uh, yeah, that mm. wasn't what he was sued for. Okay. Furthermore, I'm, I have a feeling the uh, the name derived from uh, saying that Blizzard of Oz stemmed from a memo that he found on a demo tape where he was drunkenly rambling. That was actually how Keith Richards wrote. I can't get no satisfaction. It had uh, <laughs> nothing to do with Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy's uh, the Blizzard of Oz was a name suggested by his father. Huh. huh. So there you are. Uh, line number three, of course, was that the last stop on Sabbath's tour was in Phoenix, Arizona. It was, of course, in Albuquerque, New Mexico on December 11th of 78. So, uh, good times for that. There was a lot of talk about the Van Halen connection, strangely enough, in some of these articles I was reading as well. It was very interesting to see that Sabbath were the over-the-hill gang in the 80s, and they were still performing and, and rocking out in the public like in the late aughts while Van Halen was broken up three times over. So, uh, you know, lasting power. Lead singers are problematic, I think, if we've learned anything from watching <laughs> metal bands. Oh, yeah. Um... Lie number four, of course, was uh, the inclusion of William Butler Yeats as someone who uh, was compared to Osborne, naturally. Uh, they uh, conveyed him being somewhat similar to Aleister Crowley, and this is also presumed because Osborne wrote a song called Mr. Crowley. Yeah. Yeah. And so they connected him. But yeah, there was nothing to do with the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, nor William Butler Yeats, but I was just uh, tickled to find out that he was actually a member of the group and wrote about it extensively. I was I was going to throw LaVey in here, and then I was like, nah, it's too close. So let's, <laughs> let's go a little further afield here. And then uh, line number five... All of the bit about him asking a crowd in Florida whether they wanted to see his cock had not anything to do with Ozzy Osbourne. That was Jim Morrison who did that in 68, I think. Uh, Not Ozzy at all. But after the string of stuff that preceded it, I thought, here's a lie I can whip in. Yep. I believe it. String of bad luck. Indeed. But uh, yeah, so none of that stuff happened. He was never brought to court. He was never. uh, So technically, Michael was sniffing around where he said the open profanity. But that was, in fact, the charge that Morrison got. So technically, Uh that was not the lie. Not part of it. But uh, it it folds in neatly enough. But you were in the right spot. But I didn't feel it was close enough for me to to cause you to dig further because we would have gone on for a while, I think. Yeah, because I. I Open profanity sounds more reasonable in the 60s rather than the 80s. Yes, indeed. Uh, particularly when coupled with indecent exposure, which was, you know, the pair yeah. of charges that he had brought. And he actually was put in, in jail at the time, as opposed <laughs> to my lie. They they locked Morrison up. They're like, oh, this is nonsense. And then he was dead in France a few months later, strangely enough. Uh, and then finally... Uh, of course, was number six uh, that the song was uh, ranked number three on the list of Filthy 15 by good old Tipper Gore, just one of the greatest names in the whole of human history. Uh, and that is all that I have for you of my six lies. Nice. Well done. Well, thank you. You just did the episodes that you could talk like Ozzy for like <laughs> half a You'd think. I also figured out that I think I lied to you. More than, uh, yeah, because I said it was five lives up front and I had six. Yep. I did not realize, apparently, because I was writing stuff in as I was going. Uh, Yes. Lie number seven is that I had to lie in there at the end and, uh, and whipped it around. This is one of the problems with trying to do... So, again, this was another one of those topics where there was very little, actually, that was congealed. And so I had to kind of pat together a lot of stuff out of whole cloth. And so a lot of this is my meandering train of thought. And there's a lot of disparate articles. When you see the resource list on this thing, I've got like 12 different things listed because I had to kind of cobble together a narrative. So that would be why I forgot (laughs) that I added another lie in there just to try to keep it interesting. But, well, thank you all for indulging me for a moment. And uh, I appreciated the opportunity to go biographical again. (laughs) So our character... You do enjoy it and you do it well. Oh, go ahead, John. (laughs) Oh, I'm done. I was going to ask, are character voices going to be required from here on out? Because that seems to be a new trend. No, I don't think it's necessarily a requirement, (laughs) but it certainly makes it more fun. 
I'll tell you that much. You know, now that now that all of us have had some voice acting experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we'll experience. continue to have it uh, as we go forward, strangely mm-hmm. enough, if I can cajole and, uh, and twist everybody's nipples for a minute. So we'll see where that goes. I did want to mention something that I read in the news recently. So if you recall Little Nas X, uh, he's actually releasing, I think it's a new single or a new album. I can't recall. Uh, I think it's, I believe it's called Industry Baby. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, in advance notice of the song being aired or published or whatever, uh, he warned everyone that it is not for children. <laughs> it is not for specifically your kids. Um, oh, nice. Did you see the tweet about it? Yes, where, you, where the person was like, well, my two-year-old loves your uh, music, your, and you should be, you know, considerate of that. And he's like, oh, bless your two-year-old's heart, but sometimes I just want to be a slut. Or something <laughs> I'm like, that, that's fair. That's fair. I can, I can understand that completely. Uh, everything uh, he's done leading up to the release of this new music has been very entertaining to watch. Did you watch his, uh, I guess... Air quotes, uh, courtroom drama. Are I you didn't... guys? You should just do a follow up to your episode. You should just it... write a little mini sode and just put it out. I thought about it, but it's only that 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 tweet where he says, "Watch your kids around my music." Hide your kids. Hide your wife. And then he had a TikTok sort of, I guess, series where he pretended <laughs> that he was getting sued by Nike, uh, even though they settled out of court in uh, April for the whole Satan shoes. So, but that was it. I, I was thinking I was going to write something, and I was waiting to see if more stuff uh, materialized. Uh, but that was that was the the whole meat and potatoes okay. of it. On the subject of ticking talks, uh, Melissa did show me a TikTok where uh, somebody that she routinely checks in with had a joke about uh, we don't have to believe in evil anymore. The devil's been slayed because little Nas X uh, seduced him with a laugh a dance and then dispatched <laughs> him from hell henceforth and forever. And it's like, okay, it's our savior. I like yep. it. Our little pole dancing savior. <laughs> um, funny you bring that up as well. I've, I was recommended this show, and I'm halfway through the uh, its first season, or it's the only season so far. It's called This Is Pop on Netflix, and it's just it's a documentary series on the history of pop music or like mm. little tidbits of of stuff. It is insanely watchable and interesting to me. Um, but they bring up the the episode I'm on currently is when country and pop try to cross over and interesting things that have happened in music history. But he's he's brought up because of that crossover of of getting removed from the country charts uh for old town or the old for town his road? yeah for old his billy ray sideburns mm-hmm. yeah um <laughs> that he was he was on the top of the country charts for however however long and then they decided he wasn't country enough so they took him off the uh the listing and that posed the question you know what is country nashville so. putting the cunt back in country oh yeah yeah but i've learned she... that dolly uh dolly is a, is a gem i love her i might do an episode on dolly she's one of my favorite people oh please Please. <laughs> which uh, which breast are you going to start with? It's hard to Each choose. Each one is a separate part. It's a, it's a pair of very it's very long to, chapters. A lot to deal with. <laughs> Can yeah. someone getting the breast the breast the breast of you? I'm uh, not going to. I'm giving partial I, credit for that one because uh, if you're going to enfold Dave Grohl and Dolly Parton together, it's going to be a very <laughs> difficult ride. Guaranteed, they've sang together. The breast and nothing but the breast. I'd be the boob so fighters, I'm afraid. Oh, there we go. <laughs> you know, that might actually be good for, like, breast cancer. Uh, we, we'll, we'll have to record that song, change the lyrics slightly, and see if we can get them involved. Anywho, I don't want to titillate no. you any further with concepts going forward, but... Uh, as per usual, we have got all of the socials that you can go and scope out. You know where they are. If you don't, there's a link tree somewhere that you can find. And of course, on the tubes of you, most wonderful Wednesdays, you can find us doing fan fiction or random nonsense. And uh, since I didn't get a definite response from anybody here, is uh, is everyone uh, willing to uh, to hang out while I uh, rickroll a, a little bit of the Magnus archives? Is that uh, a reasonable? As long as you let me take a piss first. Yeah. I mean, I'll let you do any number of things in my mouth, Daddy. 
Cool. I'll be right over. It's like a forty-minute drive. It shouldn't be, take me too long. It'll I'll be, be there in it. about thirty. <laughs> if your urethra holds you up, just get up and leave. <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't be that jarring after watching John touch his feet for the last hour and a half. I'm sorry. I'm usually not this close to my feet. It's like well, shaking hands with myself. <laughs> Good job. Good job. That's why your toes are so fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking golem yeah, probably. over here. Oh, yes, recording podcasts. My process. <laughs> and Michael's Michael. got the one ring over there. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need that clip. <laughs> you gotta give you gotta give the clip give it i i always give the clip <laughs> all right nothing then. but the clip. <laughs> if john ever dies his funeral eulogy needs to just be is there a clip can i get a clip of that is there a clip <laughs> and we'll just that. play clips yeah empty that clip baby <laughs> actually what i what i hope you you three would do in the event of like an untimely passing or like an accident uh would be to find like go through all of the audio like all my isolated audio and create like a uh, prank call board and just ruin people's <laughs> lives with my prank call board. Just call your mom with it. Like whoever, I mean, I'll be dead. I won't fucking know. Nothing happens when you die. So I'm not going to know that this happened. I have a feeling Kristen uh, would appreciate it. <laughs> like if, if she got a call out of the blue and was like, sup, sup bitch. <laughs> She'd be like, Oh, I miss him. And then, yeah, I don't it's know. like he's here. Uh, yeah. So you have my permission, John. I will. I will make a talking real doll of you upon oh the event God. of your untimely demise, yes. and uh, we can continue our relationship post death. Nice. We'll continue recording the uh, podcast as well. We'll just have I mean, that soundboard. If you're gonna invest, <laughs> if you're gonna invest in the tech, I don't see why you would. Fair. Yeah. We keep changing the jokes; just stay the same. <laughs> and so does John's engagement in life and after. Exactly. Oh, pretty engaged with those feet. What <laughs> can I say? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a foot guy now. Well, it hasn't fallen off yet, so I guess you can keep playing with it. I think that's going to wrap it up in a, uh, another tasty little burrito here. That has nothing to do with babies. <laughs> <laughs> You know, a baby burrito sounds uh, scintillating, actually. Mm, delectable. Oh, God, stop. Yeah, all right. A little ASMR for you here, John, just to, to finish up. But for this week's insane, crazy train of an episode for Disinformed, I'm Shane. I'm John. I'm Michael. I'm Courtney. And Mr. Michael. Zippity-zoop, we're out of here! <laughs> <laughs>